Today, the lovely, the beautiful, the matriarch, Mama K. Give it up for Mama K. Oh my gosh. I love Mama K. <laughs> and you know, it, it, is so, it, is, it is so cool that Barb and I, we, we came here uh, five and a half years ago, and one of the first ladies I met was you. And so ever since then, she and I text all the time. We talk. She'll come up to me. Listen, listen, son. And she always calls me son. <laughs> and it just means so much to me. But I, I was like, I want her to share her story because you've got such a, a powerful narrative to share with our people. And I love you. It's yours. Go get it, girl. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have, been a called, who have been called according to his purpose. And I thought about Tim when I first read that because Paul knew. He, he had the gnosko knowing. <laughs> he knew. He didn't just say, oh, I, I know. I know because he had that experience. I was, I was born and raised in Harlem, New York, <clears throat> a single parent my mom and I, um, there was never a dad in my home. Although there were two men, and mama would flip-flop back and forth saying, this one's your daddy, that one's your daddy. So I don't know who my daddy was, to tell you the truth. But I do know who my father is. <laughs> I do know that. And what I've come to realize is that my mother, and I thank her for it, she was surviving the best way she knew how. That's what she was doing in all of that. We didn't live in a Christian home, although I did hear, my, hear gospel music from time to time. And mama told me about her church experiences growing up. But I wasn't taught to read the Bible. I wasn't taught to pray. Um, I knew nothing about Jesus. And my church experiences were really very few. Mama sent me to um, St. Charles Catholic Church one day to talk to the priest. I was a little girl, I was a kid. And when I walked in that dark church and saw all those statues and saw that man hanging up on that cross naked, I flew out of there and I didn't stop until I got home. I ran, it scared, it scared me, it really did. And then she sent me to uh, Abyssinian Baptist Church where uh, Reverend uh, Adam Clayton Powell was the pastor at that time. And I went to Sunday school a couple of times, but I didn't know why I was there. Nobody told me what I was going there for. Just go to Sunday school. I was sent. I wasn't taken, mm. you know. So I had no idea what it was all about. But what I did learn at a very early age was how to party. There was always a party going on in, in our home. So there were people drinking and dancing and laughing. So that was my experience. That's what I saw in my home, and that's what I did. By the time I was 16 years old, I knew a lot about partying. I really did. And I had a very early introduction to men, sex, alcohol, and marijuana. Lots of marijuana. And the result of that was an unwanted pregnancy. And in my uh, selfishness and in my self-centeredness and not being informed of anything, 
I chose the easy way out through, a, through abortion. And I didn't just do that once, I did that twice. I didn't know any better. I didn't have anybody to tell me about fetal development. I didn't have anybody to tell me about options available. So I just did the best that I could do. Uh, and that was my dirty little secret. I buried that secret so deep inside of me, I forgot it. I never thought about it. I never talked about it. I buried it. At age 21, I got married, and that was a train wreck, a real train wreck. But out of that train wreck of a marriage, I got my beautiful daughter, Robin, sitting right there, mm -hmm. and my son. I have four grandchildren and two great-grandchildren whom I love very much. The marriage broke up because there was really no foundation. There was nothing to hold us together. I didn't know anything about marriage, and neither did he. So um, after the marriage broke up, I went back to my old lifestyle of, of partying. But I opened up my heart to Jesus in 1980. I was kind of straddling the fence, you know. Uh, but one thing about Jesus, he gives you two options. When he starts pursuing you, you either open your heart to him or you reject him. And I opened my heart. It wasn't everything right away, but I, had, I did open my heart. Then we moved to Miami, still partying, because Miami, Florida is a party place. Still, still partying. One, one day, Robin's daughter, Taji must have been about seven, she said to us, I need to go to church. God is calling me. Mm. I looked at Robin. Robin looked at me. We looked at Taji. So I said, girl, we better get to church. So we started going to... Um, uh, it was called uh, First Baptist Church of Perrine at that time, but now it's, it's Christ Fellowship. Well, I was in Bible Sunday school one Sunday morning, and the ladies in the Sunday school were talking about what is the worst thing that you've ever done that you need forgiveness for? I just sat there. And in my heart, in my ear, just as clear as if Jesus had spoken it in my ear, he said, tell them about your abortions. I said, I am not doing that. No way. Lord, we got a bad connection here. This is not you. I am not doing that. I sat there, and I heard it again. Tell them about your abortions. I raised my hand, hoping that nobody would see me, but they did, and I told them. And I'm telling you, at that moment, a sense of peace mm. and freedom flowed over me like I had never felt before. That dirty little secret that I had hidden in darkness was out. It was in the light. Mm. And not only that, people, God can use all of that junk if you hand it over to him. He will use it. Mm. From the unwanted pregnancy, the Lord sent me to the Crisis Pregnancy Center where I was able to talk to a lot of young women and tell them about fetal development, and tell them about options, tell them they didn't have to abort their babies, tell them they had help. And a piece from the uh, pregnancy center was post-abortion counseling. And the Lord allowed me to serve in that ministry also. And a lot of women were healed of that shame mm. that they carried because of their abortion experiences. And then not only that, the Lord wasn't finished. He, he sent me to a, a prison ministry called Kairos. And in the prison ministry, I was able to tell those ladies in prison that I too, because in prison, I would imagine 
that the, the worst crime that you can commit is, is, is the crime of, of taking a life. And I was able to tell those ladies in the prison that I too was guilty of taking life. But I was forgiven and I was set free by the precious shed blood of our Lord mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. And I told them that Jesus stood ready to forgive them as well when they turned their lives over to him, for him to be their Lord. I told them that true freedom was available to them even within the confines of a prison wall. They could be free. Mm. I sit, well, I'm not standing. I sit before you this morning, a redeemed woman. Mm. All of that junk that I experienced has been thrown as far as the East is from the West. It is no longer mine to carry. And that same freedom is available to each of us when we give our junk over to God and trust him to do with it as he wills. He forgives. God loves you, and so do I. Thank you. <laughs> it would be a premise statement for you. Mothers can have such great influence over their sons and daughters. Did you get that? Mothers can have incredible influence over their sons and daughters. Mama Kay, in her own narrative of sharing her story, talked about just a mom, no dad. And if we live in a generation of anything, we live in a generation of fatherless homes where dads are absent, dads are not involved, dads are not engaged, dads are not infiltrating and leading homes. But mothers can have such godly influence in that home. And uh, it's amazing the life that women can breathe on this next generation. So the greatest gift that you're going to give your kids, ladies, and same thing with us guys, but ladies, the greatest gift that you'll ever give your kids is that personal relationship and resolve and commitment to Jesus Christ that he anchors everything about you and he's the Lord of your life. Second Timothy chapter 1, pastoral epistle, Paul is writing to Timothy Timothy is pastoring. Two letters are written to him, first and second Timothy. And Paul writes this in verse 5 of chapter 1. He goes, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He's writing to Timothy. Sincere is an interesting word there. Uh, it was the portrait of a potter that would go to the market. And he would be seeking to sell his pottery in as a would be there at the market, they would hold up the pottery and they would hold it up to the light and they would spin it around. And if the pottery did not have any cracks, they would oftentimes have cracks in it and they would fill it with wax and glaze it over. If the pottery did not have any cracks in it or uh, scars or blemishes to it, the potter would go, this right here is sincere. It's legit. It's true. Uh, nothing has happened that's stained the, the image of it. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he goes, I I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Your faith is legit. Then he transitions. He says, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, it now dwells in you as well. I know where you came from. I know who your mama is. I know who your granny is. I know what they stood for. Man, I, I just want you to know, your faith is alive, but I, I know the foundation that you came out of. Then he goes on to write in 2 Timothy 3. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned. Continue in the things that you've become convinced of. Knowing from whom you've learned them. 
that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. A couple of different times he, he talks about the importance of a godly influence in his life that came from his mother and his grandmother. Now, God's going to raise Timothy up. Timothy's going to pastor. Again, he's pastoring in Ephesus, and God is going to use Timothy in a mighty way to have great influence in the early church. The church is only a few years old when Paul has launched out and started these churches in different areas, Ephesus and uh, Philippi and Macedonia and all these other areas. And Timothy is a main player, but he looks at him and he says, don't, don't, don't forget where you came from. Don't, don't forget what you were taught. Don't forget the influence that you had early on in your life. Don't, don't, don't forget. Now, he does not mention in this text or any other text his dad. Nowhere in Scripture will you find him talking about really his dad. The only text we have is in Acts where it says that Timothy had a dad that was a Greek, which means he's a non-believer. So Timothy's dad had little, if any, influence in his life spiritually, but these women did. So again, I make the statement that it's amazing what can happen when godly women start to shepherd the hearts and influence the hearts of their sons and their daughters. There's a lot of ladies that come to our fellowship here. We've got a lot of single moms. And I've seen so many of you single moms. You have to call the shots. You have to pay the bills. You have to do all the grocery shopping. You're, you're in charge of everything. But, but week after week, I see our single moms, so many, they, they get up and they get their kids dressed and they get them in the car and they drive them here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, being under the leadership and teachings of Sammy and our children's ministry and different things that have happened. And I look at that and I'm like, look at that single mom. She is manifesting some of the attributes of what you find in Lois and in Eunice. It's hard. You feel like a long ranger. And sometimes you probably wonder, am I really making a difference? But you are. And there's other women that show up here on Sunday. And they bring their kids, and they're, they're, they're here week after week, and their husband is disconnected, not involved, like Timothy's dad. But they keep showing up. Keep showing up, Mom. Keep showing up doing the right thing. Keep taking that extra step every week to do the right thing. You'll never know the godly influence that you're having in, in that child of yours. You might be raising the next Timothy, the next pastor, a, a shepherd, somebody that's going to set the world on fire. Women have such incredible influence. And so I want to talk to you briefly about uh, observations of a godly woman. And if I had to subtitle it, I would subtitle it observations on living with a godly woman for the last 25 years. When I look at my life and I look at my wife, I remember six years ago, we sat down with the board and they're like, what's your resume look like? And I said, my resume is my wife and my kids and my own personal life. That's all I got. I mean, I can show you where I went to school and where I graduated from and I don't want to reveal my GPA or what I made on the SAT. That, that wouldn't enhance anything. 
but what do you got? I got my wife. And Alan Opdyke, after the first service, looked at me and said, well, you still realize that we hired Barb and you just came with her. <laughs> and so I smile. But I want you to personalize this. I want you to think about this in your own journey. Now, here's what I come to realize. A godly woman isn't perfect, but she trusts Jesus daily. There's not a perfect woman on the planet. There's not a perfect guy on the planet minus Christ Jesus himself. There's not a perfect marriage on the planet. No, nobody is totally clean 24-7 without hiccups. We all battle and we all struggle. But here's what I know. Barb's godliness is based on her personal relationship with Jesus Christ and nothing else. Now, here's some observations that I've made. A godly woman, she knows the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. And I can tell you this from experience. Hannah and Caleb and my Jesse and others can tell you this. Morning after morning, I get up early, I'll go down in my basement, I'll work out, do whatever. But morning after morning, when I come upstairs, sitting in the bed with her Bible open with a journal is my wife. And I sit there and look at her and I'm like, she's in the word. She's meditating on God's word. She knows the word of God. And you, Barb, you reveal your godliness in your thoughts and in your words and in your counsel. And they're based on the scripture. You don't use scripture to show people how wise you are or to show people how spiritual you are. And I've seen women do that. You don't throw it out there like dig me and check me out. You know the word of God. And when I look at the actions of your life and the behavior, they're based on scripture. You do a good job of staying in the word of God. But it's because you really do love the God of the word that you open the word of God because you really do want to know what he has to say. We've been walking together for 25 years, and the word of God is a daily part of your life. And I want you to know that that influence into the lives of our kids and others has such impact because you, you don't take days off. You stay in the word, and I love that. And I would encourage you, if you're not in the Word of God every day, and if you're not meditating and contemplating and memorizing Scripture, I would encourage you, that's foundational. Here, here's the second thing. She is committed to prayer. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, pray without ceasing. You know, as I look at Barb again, you, you never give up praying for those with hard hearts with uh, crippling needs, with chaotic issues. There's a revolving door at our house. People are coming and going, and a lot of them are young girls trying to figure it out. But you pray for me, and you pray for our kids, and you pray for family members, and you pray for our church, and you pray for our leadership, and you pray for others. And, and that is such an attractive part of who you are. I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give your kids as a Lois and Eunice is to be a, a woman of prayer. 
I've snagged up with certain issues here at the church. And Mama Kay and Miss Zelma, who's 77, I'm going to go ahead and throw it on out there. Mama Kay's 81, but she told me the other day when I texted her, we would have to talk later because she had to exercise that morning. <laughs> I said, you stay hot, Mama Kay. <laughs> but you know, when I have snagged up, I'll send them texts, say, I need prayer. And you know what I know? I, I know they're not going to read the text and just put the phone down as if it was just some random text they got. They're going to pray. And I think one of the greatest things we can give is for our kids to see us pray. We pray together as a family. We share times together as a family. But when I look at what makes Barb that lady of sincere faith, she's sincere about prayer. Here's another one. She demonstrates a calm and quiet spirit. I love this passage out of First Peter. It says, you should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, I think externally and physically, I think you're stunning. I think you're beautiful. But I think the, the deeper beauty of who you are is this unfading beauty deep within of this gentle and quiet spirit. There's this resolve of peace. I was thinking about that with my wife. You don't freak out when attacked, even though you do hurt deeply. I've been blown away at how people attack you at times. I can get how people get ticked at me. I just can't figure out how they get ticked at you. And when you serve and when you share your life, I'm like, why would they attack her? But when I look at Barb, this inner peace based on the presence of the Holy Spirit that leads her and comforts her and guides her is strong when everything seems out of control. She's kind of like Jesus on the boat in the midst of the storm where she's able to just, shh, shh, it's, it's, it's all right. And I, I admire that, but I think that's one of the characteristics, if you will, when you start to look at Lois and Eunice, when he says, don't forget where you came from. There was something inside Timothy that was stable because of what his mama and grandmama had modeled for him. When everything seems out of control, you continue to run to the cross of Christ. And that is so attractive. Here's another one. She lives a life of generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 says, God will make you rich enough so that you can always be generous. Your generosity will produce thanksgiving to God. You give your time, you give energy, you give money, you give gifts. One of your stronger five love languages is gifts. You know everybody's birthday did you know that today is so-and-so's birthday? No, I thought he stopped having them, Barb. <laughs> but you know everybody's birthday. And you're so quick to just have gifts weeks and weeks ahead of time. I look at that and I'm like, how do you do it? You've got a PhD in hospitality and you're constantly giving of yourself. Uh, what an incredible homemaker you are. But when I look at that, and our journey of 25 years, I'm like, you have given when we didn't even really have much. 
There was this one athlete that we were spending time starting to build rapport with. I'll never forget this. And Barb had bought this high-end outfit at Target. <laughs> Thus, the maximum of our budget. I remember she was excited. She had bought this outfit, and then one morning she gets up and she goes, I need to, to take off. I'll be back in a little while. And she comes back, and I said, where, where have you been? And she said, um, you know that outfit I bought? I said, yep. She goes, I took it back. And I said, why? Because where we're at financially right now, we just don't have much money. But I took that money, and then I went to Lifeway. And this dude who's making $10 million a year, you went there, and you bought his wife a Bible. And when you gave that Bible to his wife, it buckled her and melted her. And we've had ladies here in the church that needed washing machines, that needed whatever. And you're like, I hope it was okay, but I just want you to know I bought so-and-so. And when I look at that, I'm like, you live such a life of generosity. And, and, and I think that is so important for a godly woman. Hands open, can receive and release no matter when. And I want you to think about this in your own journey because you've concluded that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's not a verse you memorize. That's a, that's a lifestyle that you live. And I think generosity is such a huge gift. She reflects courage and strength. Joshua says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Your Lord is with you wherever you go. One of the things I admire is as others drift down slippery slopes of materialism and reckless behavior, you've stayed confident in that God will make all things work together for the good. You know that. You refuse to let fear capture you and keep you in chains, even though you've battled it at times. You're not above it, but you continue to struggle well. You continue to, to fall forward. And there's something inside of a godly woman when I look at you. I'm like, you remind yourself of God's promises. We've got scripture pretty much hanging in every room. I mean, you write scripture on chalkboards that are hanging in the kitchen. Scripture is posted on the mirror in the bathroom. As long as you stay in there, you ought to memorize the Bible. No, so... <laughs> I'll get to that. But it's amazing, oh, it's amazing to me, just cutting up with you, but it's amazing to me how you continue to trust God. And even when people have uh, wronged you and people have dogged you and people have damned you, you're, you're still strong to release that to the Lord and you believe that vengeance really is God's and you do a good job of not keeping score. Here's another one I wrote down. She offers wise counsel with dignity and humility. I think this is a huge principle for a godly woman. Proverbs 31 verse 26 out of the message I think captures this as well as anything. When she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say. And kindness is the rule when she gives instruction. Man, I was reading that this week going, what a cool statement that when she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say. 
and the wisdom of God being poured into your heart over the years, you really do a good job of speaking when spoken through, not just spoken to. You've become a vessel that God can use. And it's, it's powerful to see how so many other women have been led to Christ initially in relationship, but also to, to get freed up in their journey because of the dignity and humility that leak out of you. Ain't, ain't this what you want in your life? I mean, I'm not just trying to, to just applaud her, but I'm sharing with you principles that I've seen alive in her that I think God wants inside of every woman. Uh, here's another one. She is quick to own her own mistakes. I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I've done, Psalm 38 says. And I believe that by confessing your sin to God quickly, your heart has remained humble and tender to be able to minister to others. And I know this from experience, from watching you. I'm like, why am I not quick to own my junk? You model it better than I do. You, you, you've challenged me so much without ever opening your mouth with the way you do it for introspection in me. And, and God has used you to, to shape me and sharpen me. And I'm still, you know, a work in progress when it comes to this one right here. Right? Come on. Have you noticed that about a lot of ladies? Oh, they're some. But they're, quick, they're quicker guys to own their junk than we are. We'll deflect. We'll deny. We'll do whatever. But when I think about a characteristic of a godly woman, I've jacked it up. Here's another one. She has a good sense of humor. Laughter is a good medicine. You've learned to not take yourself too seriously. You speak life without sacrificing truth or righteousness in your conversations. Rather than being sarcastic at the expense of others for the most part, you bring joy with you wherever you go. I have watched that because one of the things that's gotten me in a lot of trouble is I come out of the locker room and I still think sarcasm is a spiritual gift. <laughs> I think busting on somebody and jabbing somebody, but you shouldn't have said that. Said, said what? I thought it was funny. And she has looked at me and said, just because it was funny to you doesn't mean it was funny to them. <laughs> So I feel like Lois and Eunice, I live with Lois and Eunice at times myself. But I look at that and I think that is such a huge uh, attribute that continues to leak from your life. Here's another one. She is a woman of strong faith. She genuinely loves her family and others because of her faith. And so when Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of the sincere faith, this legit faith, this strong faith that's in you. It first existed in your mama and your granny. I started thinking about that. That, that. That's true about you. You love others and uh, you're strong with others. You care deeply about others. And Nick and I were talking about this that I think is so important. Like when I look at you and Lisa and just some of our staff and this is true, Barbara, Lisa, this is true. You're not who you are because of what your husbands do. 
It's not like this game you're playing so that you can, you can identify with the position or profession of your husband. You are who you are because of your relationship with Christ. Six years ago when we sat down with the elders here, when they were interviewing, and they were talking to Barb and I, she looked at them and said, I don't know how to be a pastor's wife. We'd never pastored a local church. We'd never been with people week in and week out. It was like, I'm not really sure what being a pastor's wife looks like. I don't know that. But then you said, but I know how to be Barb. I know how to be the Barb that God's created. And you know how to trust God. And so whatever the conventions have written for what a lead pastor and worship pastor and their wives are supposed to look like, praise God y'all didn't read it because y'all care about being who God's made you to be. Now look at these things again. Look at them again. Lois and Eunice. Lois and Eunice. She knows the word of God. It's foundational for everything she does. She's committed to prayer. She demonstrates a calm, quiet spirit. She lives a life of generosity. You know, you know how freeing that part right there is that when your wife has your credit card and you don't worry about it? When she probably worries more about you than you do her? Only thing I buy is gas. But anyway, I mean... I mean but you know how freeing that is in a marriage where you're like, we're, 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 we're good stewards. We lived on 18,000 a year when we got married. We've lived on 25,000 when we moved to Georgia. I mean, we've lived on not a lot. So it's like, that's cool. We're good with that. But just that quiet spirit, that life of generosity, she reflects godly courage and strength. A godly woman offers a wise counsel with dignity and humility. And this was like 12, 14 years ago, even when Barb was in her mid-30s. We would be in gatherings with some of these players and their wives and people that we were ministering to doing the, the Braves ministry. And I'll never forget, she came home one day and she said, you know that scripture that talks about the older women are to teach the younger women? I am an older woman now. Yes, you might be 32 and be the older woman with people that you're with. You might be 30, but you can do it with dignity and uh, stay strong, stay strong. Uh, we've got a lot of godly women in this fellowship. And guys, we don't need to take that for granted. You hear me talking? We, uh, we don't need to take that lightly. I mean, I think the greatest thing that uh, you will share in marriage with your spouse, guys, is that if, if you're married to a, a, a godly woman, that's a whole different level of intimacy that most, most people never get to participate in in a marriage. It's more than just physical and sexual. But I mean, the spiritual and the, the psychological, that piece is, is so strong as we continue to do life. And there's so much depth to it. Uh, I would encourage you 
throughout the week to ponder these principles, I, I would encourage you to, to just ask the Lord to show you where you're at. And then dudes, dudes, I would start doing introspection on myself. Uh, Lois, Eunice, uh, y'all, y'all raised this boy. Y'all shepherded his heart. But dad, where, where, where are you in the role? And I pray that we wouldn't be like Timothy's dad, checked out and not a part of the game. Because we should be men of word of the word. We should be men of prayer. We should be living generous lives. We should be laying our lives on the altar every day as a living sacrifice. We should be washing our wives with the word of God. We should be willing to die the sacrificial death that Christ died for us. That's what he calls us men to do. You get out there and provide and protect and promote that wife and that family. And so that is so strong with us. And so I wanted to spend it a little different day. And I knew you, you probably wouldn't like it, so I didn't tell you until I stood up here to talk about it. But I wanted to bless you, but I wanted to bless you women. Stay strong in the Lord. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770 770- Five five four three three two two. God bless you, and I pray that you have it just an incredible day.